Right now, let's have a word of prayer together, and uh, then we'll get into our study. Very, very important study this morning. So I invite you to to bow your hearts and, and your heads with me at this time. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day, the day that you made for man. You didn't make man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made uh, to come together and worship thee, to have a day of rest from spiritual battles, physical rest from works, and to come to uh, with all create creatures uh, that you've created to worship thee in spirit and in truth. We thank you for this day. We look forward to it uh, throughout the week, and we plan for it. And we've come together here this morning, Father, to, to worship Thee, to sing praises to Thy name. We've uh, come together uh, to learn from Your Holy Word, and we humbly ask, very humbly, for the Holy Spirit to be given to each one of us, to enlighten our minds, to open our hearts to Your love and to the truth. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will... Uh, convict us uh, of our sins, that uh, they they may come into our minds, that we may repent of these things. And we pray for the grace of Jesus to be uh, an overcomer and uh, to put these things away. Uh, we wish to be with Jesus forever. Uh, Father, we lift up those on our prayer list. We pray that you be very, very near to them. And uh, we thank you for answered prayer. And we thank you for Jesus especially who died so that we may be free. And uh, we ask forgiveness for our sins, those sins that put Him on the cross. And we pray that what we think and what we say and and those things we do will bring glory to Thy name. Please give me the words to speak this morning, and may hearts be prepared for the truth. We pray in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is part six in the series I've entitled Spiritual Possession. Uh, and, and I want to spend some time looking at the question that, that, that often arises, especially after learning uh, you know, what we've learned uh, in the first parts of this series. And, and that is, what can cause a person to become demon-possessed? Or, or what can open a person up? Uh, to be possessed of a demon or demons. Um, as we've seen, if you can remember, those who, who've been uh, been with me from the very beginning of this series, we've seen in the examples that we've looked at that it can be difficult to discern whether someone is demon-possessed just by their appearance. Isn't that true? Sometimes it can be easy to see, you know, like the the demoniacs, and sometimes it it, it is almost impossible to see, uh, like Judas, whether someone is devil possessed. Um, so, what can we learn from the Bible examples that will protect us from this very powerful enemy and keep us safe from having our will uh, caged? by the devil. I want to look at Isaiah 59 as we begin. Uh, Isaiah 59 verse 1 is quoted very often. It's it's a very good promise. Uh, But we'll look at the first two verses because you see a contrast here. 
being said. 59, Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Now this is a very important truth for us to to dig into a little bit and 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 understand. Um, and in the coming weeks, I'll get into greater detail about you know what temptation is, what what's the difference between a, a trespasses, sin, and iniquity, and, and those things. But for now, let's understand that sin. And what is sin? First John three four says sin is the transgression of God's law. Okay, when you break God's law, you become a transgressor. And so, let's understand that sin, in whatever form or degree, it erects a barrier between man and God. A, a gulf is made that we cannot cross. And so, uh, the first thing to understand about it, and if we don't already, is that sin not only separates us from God, but hopefully... Uh, you've learned in this this series and our study here about demon possession that sin doesn't only separate us from God, but it allows Satan a pathway to have control over us in some way. Be it caged or chained, uh, you know, and, and and not harassed. Now, see, that's something completely different. I haven't even touched on that because Christians will be harassed by the devil. And, and that's what it is. I've been dealing with, uh, for several weeks here, some things that just, they're like, they're just distractions uh, from these these demons. But we're talking about possession. And, and our choice is not taken away. Okay? But it can be, it can be caged, and it can lead to um, where we completely have forsaken God and grieve the Holy Spirit away. All right? But I want you to understand that sin not only separates us from God, but it allows Satan a pathway to have control over us in some way. Let me share this with you. It's from the book Maranatha, and I'll refer to this book a few times as we go on. Maranatha, page 82. She says, It is Satan's act to tempt you, but your own act to yield. It's not in the power of all the host of Satan to force the tempted to transgress. There is no excuse for sin. This is what she says. There's no excuse for sin. Ever. I mean, let that sink in. There's no excuse for sin, ever. Now, I praise God that He's loving and merciful to forgive us, and he doesn't just forgive us, but he teaches us his ways of righteousness, friends. You know, like a loving parent that loves their child and teaches them how to behave in, in the right way. But sin brings separation, and it opens us up to the devil. Look at Jeremiah 5 and verse 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. One thing that I've noted while studying this topic, and I mentioned it, I think, last time, 
uh, is that there are some sins that tend to accelerate the opportunity for a demon to possess a person. It seems that some sins, they, they lead to a greater degree of possession more quickly, let me put it that way, than others. Though any cherished sin will eventually lead to a person being uh, as possessed by demons as the demoniacs, friends. That's where it's all headed. Um, now, there are three that tend to be seen over and over in the examples that we've looked at. and They, they are sins that are associated with idolatry, with adultery, or fornication. You get into the, the real language there. It's, it's linked, adultery and fornication. And covetousness. Now, I previously said that with the increase of demon activity, there is an increase of fanaticism as well as an increase of iniquity. Iniquity is outright rebellion against God. You know to do right, but you don't do it. You rebel. And look at what's going on in our world right now, right? What are some of the basest of sins we see at the forefront of our society today, if not idolatry, fornication, and covetousness? I mean, that's bad enough that it's in, in our world and in our culture and our society. But the same sins are also found right, uh, more and more right in God's professed church. It's startling. Notice this from the Great Controversy. Page 586. The teachings of religious leaders have opened the door to infidelity, to spiritualism, and to contempt for God's holy law. And upon these leaders rests a fearful responsibility for the iniquity that exists in the Christian world. Remember I said before, you know, Satan, he, he'll go after the generals, the leaders. And we need to pray for uh, these men, these, these people that God has placed in positions uh, to reach, uh, reach the world. Because they, they get the main attacks from our enemy. Now, what is it about these particular sins that seem to invite the demons to, to control the minds of men maybe more quickly than other sins? You know, I've thought about that. Um, these tend to be sins that are not merely individual sins, you know, done privately, but they directly affect others almost immediately. Or they involve others directly. And so they can have a greater influence upon many other people immediately. Uh, now, I may just be splitting hairs, but it, it sure looks like these three sins are at the middle of the examples that we've looked at. Uh, these sins can lead others into sin more quickly, let's say, than, oh, murdering someone or or stealing from someone, or disrespecting parents. You see what I mean? In fact, there are cultures that are based around idolatry and fornication and even covetousness. Um, pagan Rome is a prime example. Uh, well, most all pagan cultures, of course. Um, but make no mistake, the devil is looking to possess us in any way he can, and any sin opens the roadway for him. To, to come in in an effort to cage our will, to possess us. Notice this statement, again, from the book Maranatha, page 90. With every conceivable artifice and device, speaking about the devil here, he is seeking to take souls captive. Unless we are constantly on guard. That, that just jumped out at me. 
constantly on guard, we shall fall an easy prey to his unnumbered deceptions. There are many avenues, um, many avenues that Satan uses to take possession of, to one degree or another, uh, a person's mind. Satan tempts and he attacks through the natural heart and inclinations, which are heavily influenced by our senses. You know, what we see, what we hear, we taste, we smell, we touch. These are the avenues he uses to attack and bewilder our mind, friends, because what he wants is possession of our mind. And when he has possession of our mind, our will has become caged. And you've heard me say it before. The battle that wages on this earth is a battle for our mind. It's a spiritual battle for our mind. Councils on Health, page 345. When minds are turned away from God, the tempter can bring them under his rule. He can control humanity. He can control humanity. But the key is that when minds are turned away from God. Now there are many, many ways, very subtle ways, that Satan can turn our mind away from God, even just for a moment. And that one moment has an influence upon our judgment. You see, Satan tempts us through our senses. He tempts us through our flesh. And this can uh, open the door to him. So we may think, and we often do, and I include myself in that, I said we, you know, we may think, oh, just a nibble of this, or just one song, or only one toke, or one drink, you know, but it all works to his advantage and not to our advantage. And I'd say never forget that. Now I'm not saying that our battles are easy. Putting the carnal heart, the love of the flesh to death is the hardest battle we will ever fight. And it's a daily battle. That's why Paul said, I die daily. See, we've got to put it to death daily. It won't put itself to death. Have you ever heard me say that? Self will not kill itself. It has to be crucified. And that's the battle. But my friends, as we look to Jesus and we understand that He won that battle every moment of every day, as an example to us, and not only that, but for us, we should kneel in awe and gain some confidence because He offers that ability to overcome this enemy to us and He offers it to us freely. And He says, you know, I did this for you and if you're willing, I'll do this through you. Praise His holy name, friends. Praise Jesus. Praise His holy name. Because all power in heaven is right there for us to tap into. And He made that available. From the Adventist home, Page 402, notice this. In no case can Satan obtain dominion over the thoughts, words, and actions unless we voluntarily open the door and invite him to enter. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about being people being possessed. At some point, somewhere, that door has been opened. Now the issue is, what are these doors that can be opened? And that's what we're going to talk about today. 
She says he will then come in and by catching away the good seed sown in the heart make of none effect the truth. And the scary thing to me is that we are born with the tendency to open the door and allow Satan access to our mind. We allow our passions to control our decisions and this opens a door to the enemy which may just lead us to be possessed by the devil. Paul talks about it. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Begin with verse 5. Romans 8 verse 5. Paul says, For they that are after the flesh, what do they do? They do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. What's that word enmity mean? I always used to ask the kids that. What's enmity mean? It means hatred. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. To hate God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And if you aren't pleasing God, who are you pleasing? You're pleasing the enemy of God. The carnal mind is wholly incapable of submitting, as Paul says here, to the law of God. And again, sin separates us from God, and not only does it separate us from God, it opens the door to Satan, even in a most subtle way. And that's where he really does most of his damage. He comes to, to us in subtle ways. And so, friends, only by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is obedience to God's law, obedience to God made possible. Not only that, but it builds the hedge around us to protect us. And that's what Jesus accomplished for each one of us in his mission here. His praise should always be on our lips, friends. Let's look at Maranatha again, page 64. Man is Satan's captive and is naturally inclined to follow his suggestions and do his bidding. He has in himself no power to oppose effectual resistance to evil. It is only as Christ abides in him by living faith that man may venture to face so terrible a foe. And that's one of the keys we get into uh, next week. I'm going to talk about um, how to be prepared uh, uh, to... to how to be more protected, and how to cast out demons. And this is one of the keys. Christ has to be abiding in us by living faith. Only then, as she says, may we venture to face so terrible a foe. You know, Jesus said in Mark 7, verses 21-22, He said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. You look at that list there, I think every category of evil has been included that come forth from where Jesus say? From the heart. That's that carnal, fleshly heart that Paul's talking about. In fact, Paul described lust as fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. In Ephesians 2 verse 3, and the Greek text more accurately says there, desires of the thoughts. So Paul says fulfilling the, the 
desires of the thoughts and of the mind, is what he's saying. Maranatha, page 110. Christ is crucified afresh by many who through self-indulgence allow Satan to gain control over them. And this is what where the, this flesh, this carnal heart leads us to. It's all about self, isn't it? We indulge self. And so she says here, Christ is crucified afresh by many who through self-indulgence, what happens? We allow Satan to gain control over us through self-indulgence. You know, friends, the devil did not invent spirit possession. Have you thought about that? Do you know that? Satan always counterfeits every good thing that originated with God. And so he uses the very mechanisms to, to take control of man that God has provided for us to have complete possession by the Holy Spirit. Satan takes those methods, he perverts them. From the book Education, page 209, notice this. The brain nerves that connect with the whole system are the medium through which heaven communicates with man and affects the inmost life. What does? What did she say? She said the brain nerves that connect with the whole system. That's how God communicates with us. So Satan uses these same brain nerves to communicate with us and affect our inmost life to such a degree that we'll be caged by him and eventually lose all hope and confidence in Christ. And then he completely controls us, you see. Satan communicates through our senses in such a way that it excites them past what they were actually designed for. And he does that to lead us in, an, in unrighteous ways. Look at it like this. It's like fanaticism of the senses. You know? Think about this for a moment. If Satan communicates to us primarily by appealing to our senses for pleasure or pain, either one, because he not only brings pleasure to get his way, but he'll bring pain and coercion to get his way too, right? So if he, he, he communicates to us primarily by appealing to our senses, then it makes sense that our surroundings can have a tremendous influence over our decisions. Would you agree with that? Our surroundings always affect our spirituality in some way. They can entice us to choose to sin by appealing to our flesh, or they can strengthen us by reminding us about God. Let me give you an example. And you can read about this in Genesis 13. God had blessed Abraham and Lot to the point where their workers began fighting due to the overcrowding of people and flocks, right? <laughs> so Abraham suggested, he gets together with Lot, and he suggests that they split up and, and move, and he gave Lot the first choice of where to go. He said, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Right? So, Abraham let Lot choose. And where did Lot choose to pitch his tents? If you look at Genesis 13, let's look at verses 12 and 13. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward where? Sodom. 
But the men of Sodom were what? Holy? No. They were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly, we're told here. And something interesting, as I was looking at this, in verse 10 it says that Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld. So what was the first thing that Lot did? Abraham, he says, let's make this choice. First thing that Lot did was he beheld and then he chose, right? Leaving the Jordan Valley, that was north of the Dead Sea, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then eventually, what happened to Lot? He moved into Sodom. And even though he himself was righteous, his decision actually meant the loss of almost everything that he held dear. Now contrast that with what Abraham did. What did he do? Where did he choose to live? Abraham finally pitched his tent at a grove of trees near Hebron. And the Hebrew word alane, which is translated in the King James Version as plain, is probably better rendered as oaks. And here in, 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 uh, in this context that word alone is actually used in the plural. And so it, it really it indicates the presence of a number of large trees. So Lot chose the city. He pitched his tent towards the city, wound up moving in, where wickedness dwells, you know, where it abides, where it's seen, and tends to prevail. And Abraham chose the country where you see the works of nature. You see God's handiwork. So our surroundings have a great influence upon us. Wouldn't you agree? And I'd say keep that in mind as, as we go on here and we look at these things. In the, uh, in the Bible examples we looked at previously, we saw that there were many ways that allowed Satan entrance to the mind of the one that was captivated by him. The first example we looked at, remember, in Mark 1, Mark chapter 1 showed that having an indifferent or frivolous attitude led this man in the synagogue to become possessed with the devil. This is from Selected Messages, volume 2, page 179. Notice what we read here. There was a man in the synagogue who was possessed of the spirit of Satan. By his own sinful course, it wasn't a righteous course, was it? No, by his own sinful course, this man had placed himself on the enemy's ground. And that's not where we want to be. Remember, uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about visitors among us, that was the the title of the, the message, and you know, talked about the work of angels and such. And there are places where angels of God will not go. Because it's, it's Satan's ground. It's the enemy's ground. And this is what she says. This man had placed himself on the enemy's ground, and Satan had taken possession of all his faculties. The pleasures of sin had fascinated him. The path of dissipation had looked bright and tempting. He had thought to make life a what? Grand carnival. 
He did not dream of becoming a disgust and terror to the world and the reproach of his family. He thought, now who would think that, really? Right? Nobody wants that. He thought his time could be spent, notice what she says, in innocent folly. But once on the downward path, his feet rapidly descended till he had broken the laws of health and morality. Intemperance and frivolity chained his senses, that means they chained, you know, chained his conscience, chained his, his senses. They were wanted to, to be pleasured more and more and more. She says, intemperance and frivolity chained his senses. The fine qualities of his mind were perverted and Satan stepped in and took absolute control of him. Now, the first thing that grabbed my attention really uh, was that word carnival. (laughs) What do you think of when you hear the word carnival? I think of a place with rides, you know, with a midway. I think of a circus or an amusement park, right? Don't you? There are lots of amusement parks in our country, aren't there? Yeah, there's a reason for that, right? What is one of the most famous amusement parks in the world? Disney, exactly. Disney World, right? Is that a place where you will be led to think on spiritual things? You know, to walk after the spirit, as Paul says? Or does it tempt you to walk after the flesh? Could a carnival open a door for Satan? What do you think? What is it that these places appeal to? Don't they appeal to the carnal, fleshly heart? How did this guy in the synagogue become possessed? He thought life a grand carnival, all fun and games where you can delight the senses in any way you want. Innocent folly and frivolity. Is it really so innocent? James chapter 4 and verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now that's not Pastor Joel writing that. Those are inspired words from the Holy Spirit. In part five of this series, last time we were together, I talked about Aleister Crowley. You remember And do you remember the religion that he basically founded? He claimed to have been, uh, while he was in Egypt, he claimed to have been contacted by a supernatural entity that was named Iowas, who provided him with the Book of the Law, a sacred text that served as the basis for this religion that he pretty much founded called Thelema. And... And part of that religion is actually founded upon the idea that the 20th century marked the beginning of the eon of Horus. That was a god of Egypt. And and this beginning of the eon of Horus, during that time a new ethical code would be followed. And that code was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. 
Now, the word thelema is the English transliteration of the Koine Greek word for will, meaning to will, wish, want, or purpose. And I think for us it's better rendered desire. In essence, they were saying that the only law is to do what you desire. Doesn't that sound like what this man in the synagogue had decided to do? Life was a carnival. Follow your own will. Do whatever you desire. And that's spiritualism, friends. Acts of the Apostles, page 474, says, By spiritualism, multitudes are taught to believe that desire is the highest law. That license is liberty. That man is accountable only to himself. And this is what Aleister Crowley embraced. And it's the heart of the religion of Thelema. And by the way, there are many aspects of spiritualism. Pantheism is spiritualism, isn't it? It teaches that God is in everything. But in reality, it's teaching that God is in nothing. And so what do you do? You look into yourself for guidance. Sounds like the law of Thelema, doesn't it? Let me share this with you. It's from the book, The Upward Look, page 119. And this was written in a letter to John Harvey Kellogg, who was heading into pantheism. And she says to him, Come to the Lord and surrender all to Him. You must or you will be taken captive by the enemy. No ifs, ands, or buts. You need to come to the Lord and surrender all to Him. And friends, I'll tell you, that's what we need to do. Because if we don't, we will be taken captive by the enemy. That's going to be the end result. And the foundation of spiritualism, though there are many uh, aspects to spiritualism, the, the very foundation of spiritualism is to reject the law of God. It all boils down to that. So, you know, eat what you want, drink what you want, listen to what you want. What kind of music do you hear at a carnival? Well, we hear nothing but music from the heavenly choir. Isn't that right? This should make... Huh? <laughs> exactly. Little ditties and diff, you know, things that divert our mind from spiritual things, from righteous things. And this should make us stop for a moment and think about our surroundings and the effect it has upon us. Right, friends? Let's go on. In Matthew 9, we saw the example where they brought a possessed man to Jesus and he was described as dumb. Well, what had caused him to be possessed? Was this man normally dumb, as in maybe he had a health issue, or, or was he born with a mental you know, shortage or, or ailment, or was this all because of the demon? Well, the word translated as dumb in English is the Greek word kophos, and it means blunted, dull, or dumb or deaf, depending on what the context is. And, and so by our indifference to God or, and, either way, the transgression of His laws, including the health laws, we become deaf, we become dumb to the truth. And that opens us up to be possessed by the devil. Maybe like this man was. This man's health issues opened him up for demon possession. And I have to believe, and I tend to believe, it wasn't an issue that he was born with. Um, 
I think it was a health issue that was caused by his lifestyle choices. Notice this from Sermons and Talks, Volume 1, page 257. Not an unclean thing is to enter the kingdom of God. I want you to think of this and those that benumb their senses, paralyzing their reasoning by intoxicating drinks. I want you to consider they have sold their reason to the devil. Now I want you to, friends, when I read this, I want you to pick out the principle that's being laid out here. She says, I want you to consider they have sold their reason to the devil and he takes possession of them, soul and body, and you know what he does with them. You know that it is the attributes of Satan that walk right out of these men. There are a number of different ways a person can benumb their senses, isn't there? Here in, in this context, she, she's talking about you know, alcohol, intoxicating drinks. But there's a number of ways that we can benumb our, benumb our senses. You know, when Jesus was crucified, well... Uh, and while he was hanging there in agony, Matthew 27, verse 34 says, They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. What is gall? Do you know? Well, that's getting really scientific about it. <laughs> But here in this instance, it, it actually, it's a word that's better rendered as wine. Mark 15 says wine mixed with myrrh. Now, according to Rabbi Hizda, you read this in the Talmud Sanhedrin, uh, he says, when one is led out to execution, he is given a goblet of wine containing a grain of frankincense in order to benumb his senses even uses the word benumb. Now this custom was intended, friends, to, you know, to, to, to mitigate the suffering of the person that was condemned to death. They believed it was being merciful. You, know, you wouldn't feel all the pain. right? Why did Jesus refuse to drink this concoction? Have you ever thought about that? But why? Not just because it was fermented. What does it? What did it do? Notice this: the desire of ages, page seven hundred and forty-six. To those who suffered death by the cross, it was permitted to give a stupefying potion to deaden the sense of pain. This was offered to Jesus, but when he had tasted it, he refused it. He would receive nothing that could becloud his mind. His faith must keep fast hold upon God. This was his only strength. To becloud his senses would give Satan an advantage. Friends, benumbing our senses paralyzes our reasoning. How many intoxicated people have you ever seen? If, you, if you've seen anyone intoxicated, and let me tell you, I've seen a lot of them. Um, how many make very rational, well-thought-out decisions. But you know why they do that. They do that because they're in pain, and it hurts, and they want the pain to go away. Yeah, I'm not, that's not the context I'm talking about. But that's why a lot of people do it. Sure. 
Anything that benumbs our mind opens a door for Satan to work. It gives him advantage over us. And, uh, and that will lead to, to demon possession. Um, T.E. Wade, he examined transcendental meditation, hypnosis, yoga, uh, uh, Eastern mysticism, glossolalia, spiritism. He, 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 con- he looked at all these things in connection with demon possession. And I want you to notice what he concluded. Quote, It is my personal conviction that the normal human brain is capable of experiencing the functional relation to the Holy Spirit by a mechanism which is misused to achieve hypnotic trance. This mechanism may be surrendered to the control of an evil spirit as occurs in voodoo spirit possession or a human hypnotist may intrude into the relationship when he casts a spell over his subject. Isn't that interesting? Remember we read that communication from God comes through the brain nerves? And this is what he, he's saying. We, we do have a connection with God, but that connection can be perverted and taken over. And how does that happen? We allow a door to be opened. See? These uh, uh, so-called mind sciences, they have infiltrated into the professed church uh, to the point where spiritual formation exercises are taught in the schools and preached from the pulpit. It's unbelievable. And Ellen White strongly opposed the use of hypnotism. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Right? But from the Ministry of Healing, page 243, notice she says, the theory of mind controlling mind was originated by Satan. It opens a door through which Satan will enter to take possession both of the mind that is given up to be controlled and of the mind that controls. I was reading an article the other morning about yoga and the spiritual dangers of it. And it was amazing to me to see the outrage from so many people in the comments section against the author. Many were saying that they, you know, they just do the physical exercising and the stretches, and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, that depends. Really? Yoga was invented as a part of worshiping a false god. Did you know that? Many of the poses while, quote, stretching, they're the exact depictions of these idols, friends, and they actually open the door. They invite the demons. Now, some would say, what? I'm just exercising. Well, that's true, but certain exercises actually relax not just your muscles, but your brain, especially your frontal lobe. Those brain nerves. And when that happens, a door is open to your mind. And if you are striking a pose known to invite demons, and especially if you're chanting, just what do you think is going to happen? Beloved, we really need to think about the source for these things. Remember, we read before, Satan is trying to attack us, and he has unnumbered deceptions. He has unnumbered ways that he tries to do it.
the woman from Canaan we read about, Matthew 15, whose daughter was possessed. She lived in a culture that worshipped idols and false gods. She was surrounded by it. The idol worship and the lifestyle were such as to break the law of God. Her sins and her habits more than likely led her to wink at the sins of her children. And the culture around her had led her to open up her household to demons. It allowed a pathway for her children to be vexed with these devils. Review and Herald, April 14, 1885. If you allow your children to lightly esteem your wishes and pay no regard to the laws of the household, you are winking at sin. You are permitting the devil to work as he will. That should grab our attention right there. Manuscript Releases, Volume 6, page 367. In the management of the school, there is to be the very best kind of discipline. In learning, the students cannot have their own way. They have got to give up their own way to discipline. This is a lesson that is yet to be learned by a good many families. Let me stop there for a minute. I just shared something on Facebook on the church page this morning. I read an article about Adventist University in California. I think it's Pacific Union. They actually... I don't keep up with this stuff because, you know, I just want to spread the gospel. But they actually have a psychology department with the mind sciences. First of all, I could talk about that for a while. That should never be in any of God's churches or schools, period. But a number of the professors are are resigning and the students are protesting. Isn't that our society today? You don't like something, you get up and you protest it. And they were protesting that these, the, what had happened was the president of the university, one of the professors had invited an alumnus to come and speak who is now an atheist. And the president of the university uninvited the person. And so a number of the professors from, from this department, psychology department, resigned, and the students are outraged about it. About the resigning? Or the, about the, about the, the president's decision. Okay. And, and that just strikes me, as I'm reading this, this quote from Manuscript Releases, Volume 6, page 367. In the management of the school, there is to be the very best kind of discipline. In learning, the students cannot have their own way. They have got to give up their own way to discipline. This is a lesson that is yet to be learned by a good many families. But what we hear, oh, let them do this. They're nothing but children. They'll learn when they get older. Well, just as soon as a child in my care would begin to show passion and throw himself on the floor, he never did it but once, I want to tell you. I would not let the devil work right through that child and take possession of it. The Lord wants us to understand things. Isn't that remarkable? They're all upset because out there in California at the Adventist University, these students are all upset because an atheist was denied the opportunity to come and speak to them. Incredible. Here's another one, Maranatha, page 63. 
It is essential that all shall know what atmosphere surrounds their own souls. Didn't we talk about our atmosphere, our surroundings? Whether they are in co-partnership with the enemy of righteousness and unconsciously doing his work, or whether they are yoked up with Christ doing his work. You see, beloved, indifference, unbelief, and sin doesn't just affect the individual person. Sin affects everyone. Personal sin, open sin, iniquity, the very atmosphere of it is toxic. It has an influence. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, He said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Did Satan just trip and fall out of heaven? No. God removed sin and sinners from heaven. Why did he do that? Sin is toxic. And we need to guard our surroundings the best that we can. Now, if you take that to extremes, like the Jews did, and and isolate yourself from the world, you can leave yourself open to Satan's advances too. So I'm not advocating, you know, separating yourself from everyone and becoming a hermit, right? The Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 25, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The household of faith is to assemble together. We are to control the atmosphere of the household of faith, right? And that's what I'm saying. You know, there is strength in numbers. And Paul speaks a lot about building each other up in the faith. And that's hard to do if you aren't in contact. If you don't talk to each other. You don't see each other. By beholding, we become changed. Did you heard that before? So we better be sure that, that what we're beholding is for our best health. And uh, King David understood this. He said in Psalms 101, verse 3, he said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Have you noticed that uh, the evil that we see acted out today is much more prevalent than it was 50, 100, 200 years ago? Have you noticed that the evil that we see acted out today is much more prevalent? Why is that? Well, our senses can become desensitized to something if we see it repeatedly, you know, day after day after day. We, we can sit there and say, well, you know, it's, that's the norm. I mean, look at World War II as an example. How could the, the citizens of Germany turn a blind eye to the atrocities that were occurring all around them and act as if nothing was going on? When we watch videos of murder, for example, repeatedly, it affects our mind. It affects it in such a way that before long it doesn't bring as much abhorrence to us as it used to. Pastor Doug Batchelor, if you're familiar with him, he tells about uh, when he lived in the cave. He would sometimes come into the city. You know, he'd walk out of the mountain down to the city and he'd do some dumpster diving for food. But he said it took a few times of standing guard for the other hobos, you know, before his senses told him it was okay to get into the dumpster himself. Sin has that same effect upon our mind. The more we watch it, the more uh, the hatred against it diminishes. And then we find ourselves doing it ourselves. What we listen to, you know, uh, music has a profound effect upon our brain. Music bypasses our reasoning center to appeal directly to our lower brain or our lower passions, the carnal heart. 
And listening to the wrong music can be a very dangerous thing for not just our physical health, but our spiritual health. It can alter our heartbeat, change our brain waves. It can hypnotize our sensibilities. And Satan is a master musician. And he uses ungodly music to gain control of our minds. From the book Christian Education, page 62. Music was made to serve a holy purpose. To lift the thoughts to that which is pure, noble, and elevating. And to awaken in the soul devotion and gratitude to God. What a contrast between the ancient custom and the uses to which music is now too often devoted. How many employ this gift to exalt self instead of using it to glorify God? A love for music leads the unwary to unite with world lovers in pleasure gatherings where God has forbidden His children to go. Thus that which is a great blessing when rightly used becomes one of the most successful agencies by which Satan allures the mind from duty and from the contemplation of eternal things. You know, listening to the, to the right type of music can increase brain capacity. It can calm aggression. Remember Saul, when he was king, he, he would go into these, you know, homicidal fits. He was going to just about kill David one time, and then David played music, and it soothed him, right? So, music has a profound effect upon our mind, and we need to learn what is the right kind of music to promote good health and what kind of music damages our health, because that opens the doorway for Satan to act. What we breathe, I'm talking about our senses now, what we breathe can change our brain in disastrous ways, right? Some things that we breathe are poisonous. It can damage our brain. Tobacco doesn't just destroy our lungs, but it destroys brain cells as well. What we touch has an effect for good or bad. Many um, cosmetics have toxins that are absorbed into the skin. Uh, one of the most underrated senses is, you know, that the devil uses to destroy a mind is that of taste. What we put in our mouth goes into our bloodstream, into our brain. You know, damaging chemicals, toxins going right to our brain. It affects our ability to choose between right and wrong. We either have a uh, a hatred for sin or a hatred for God. You see, friends, the devil's tempting us all the time through our senses and in an effort to destroy our brain to the point that we can no longer reason between what's right, what's wrong, between sin and righteousness. So being indifferent to eternal truths invites Satan. Surrounding yourself with pleasures of this world invites Satan. And that's, that's what he uses, see? What about rejecting light? If you rejected the truth and light from God, would that open a door to Satan? What did Paul say in Romans 8 and verse 7? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. I can't count how many people... Uh, there are that have accepted truth up to the one that cuts too hard across their lifestyle. And then they just stop believing. They don't wish to go any further. What happens when you refuse to accept the truth? The book Conflict and Courage, page 26. If you choose to throw off the sacred, restraining influence of the truth, Satan will lead you captive at his will. 
you will be in danger of giving scope to your appetites and passions, giving loose rein to lusts, to evil and abominable desires. Instead of bearing in your countenance a calm serenity under trial and affliction like faithful Enoch, having your face radiant with hope and that peace which passeth understanding, you will stamp your countenance with carnal thoughts, with lustful desires. You will bear the impress of the satanic instead of the divine. You know, friend, uh, 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 a uh, person who rejects the truth, they set themselves up to be deceived by Satan, and that leads to demon possession. You've opened a door. We saw how the leaders of Israel were deceived and possessed of, of demons. From the book Health and Healing, page 113. Notice this. This is interesting. We see this happen in the church actually quite a lot. It says, By their interpretation, the Jewish leaders made God's word say things that God had never given. They argued over technicalities, and in doing so, they denied essential truths. In this way, they robbed God's word of its power, and evil spirits accomplished their will. Those who turn from the plain teaching of Scripture and the convicting power of God's Holy Spirit are inviting the control of demons. Criticism and speculation concerning the Bible have opened the way for spiritism to gain a foothold even in the professed churches of our Lord Jesus Christ. Side by side with the preaching of the gospel, lying spirits are at work. One more, Confrontation, page 90. The godly need not be deceived if they are students of the scriptures and obedient. That's the key, isn't it? Obedient to follow the plain path marked out for them in the word of God. And I'll get more into that uh, next time. But, you know, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12, he said, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure. That's the carnal heart, isn't it? But had pleasure in unrighteousness. Again, had pleasure in what? (laughs) And we are led to that point, friends, through the avenue of our senses. If we live to please the senses, we're going to hate the truth, and that leads to possession, demon possession. And what else did Paul say there in 2 Thessalonians? He said that they should believe a lie. Well, in the Greek, really, it's, it's rather rendered the lie. That is the, the crowning deception uh, when Satan impersonates Jesus Christ. And there can be no worse lie than this, friends, that the author of evil should pose as Christ, who is the source of truth. And so those who are deluded into thinking... Uh, thinking Satan to be Jesus are beyond redemption because they've accepted a false Christ and they're possessed by His Spirit, you see. And that leads to outright rejection of God. The Desire of Ages, page 341. Whenever men reject the Savior's invitation, they are yielding themselves to Satan. Let me ask you, if you reject the Holy Spirit, would you still be filled with holiness or with unholiness? What spirit would possess you? I shared this. This is just a snippet from one of the parts of this series before. 
Manuscript Releases, Volume 6, page 151. She says, Brother Will Smith is a man that was converted last year. He was in the truth years ago, but for some reason gave it up. So he understood the truth, but for some reason he gave it up. And she says, what happened? The devil took possession of him, and he became a desperado. He started doing the works of that spirit, spirit of Satan. Now, there is hope. This man, this man eventually did become uh, converted again and did marvelous work for God. Here's another one. Upward look, page 101. Satan is watching that he may find the mind in an unguarded moment and so get possession of it. Those who trust in their intelligence, he will make believe that they can correct the scriptures. You are going to meet this infidelity in high places. You need the Holy Spirit of God, the divine power to cooperate with you to discern the trap that the devil is preparing and escape it. Notice that, you know, there are some people who are very proud of their intelligence. Right? It's all about self, remember. That opens the door to Satan. Health and Healing, page 113. Many people tamper with these manifestations just from curiosity. I'm talking about supernatural. She's talking about supernatural manifestations. But when they see evidence of more than human power, they are lured on until the mysterious power, notice this, she says, until the mysterious power of a will stronger than their own controls them. That's what happens. We become caged, see? The defenses of the soul are broken down. Secret sins or master passions may hold them captive as helpless as the demon-possessed man of Capernaum. Yet, their condition is not hopeless. Praise God for that. So, openly, openly rebelling can grieve away the Holy Spirit, and then one can become totally demon-controlled as uh, the will is no longer caged, but frankly, it's completely controlled due to the, that person's final choice to reject God. You've, you've grieved away the Holy Spirit. But until you grieve away the Holy Spirit, there is still hope for you, see, that you can be depossessed of demons and possessed by the Holy Spirit. And of course, an outright decision to follow Satan uh, opens you up to demon possession. Well, friends, there's, oh man, I could go on and on and on. There's so much I could share about all this, but let me summarize and conclude this part of the series. I'm going to share with you ten paths that lead toward demon possession. And uh, I've touched on these in this part, and uh, there are a lot of branches to these, but uh, here are ten for you. Number one, being indifferent to spiritual things. Because we're naturally uh, ha have an enmity against God, right? So we tend to choose the wrong thing. So if you're just indifferent, you know, to spiritual things. And life's a carnival, remember? That man was indifferent to spiritual things. Uh, second thing, unbelief, of course. Not believing in God. There are some people who, you know, well, I'm atheist. They don't believe in God. Well, you know, that opens them up right away. Our surroundings, worldly surroundings, can open you up. Look what happened to Lot. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, and before long... That had an influence upon him. He was living in the city. 
lifestyle choices that benumb the senses, all of them, all the senses. Anything that alters one's senses and places him in a passive state can allow the entrance of devils, you know. And this includes the mind sciences, you know, passively yielding one's mind through meditation, hypnotism, yoga, uh, spiritual formation, NLP, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, etc. Now, when I say meditation, I'm talking about the spiritualistic uh, side of meditation. I'm not talking about going to God in prayer and reading a scripture and meditating on what it's saying to you. Neuro-linguistic programming essentially is a form of hypnotism. Uh, A fifth thing, isolation. You know, separating yourself from humanity. You know, we're here to share the gospel, not to be hermits. And if you, you separate yourself, there's less protection for you. Now, You know, there are instances that God leads you into the wilderness like He did John the Baptist. You're doing God's will. But to just say, oh, I'm just going to remove myself. And believe me, that temptation is there for all of us. We see what's going on around us. A sixth thing, deception. And that includes self-deception. Being addicted to oneself, you see. You neglect prayer, Bible study, fellowship, witnessing, Any other faith-building activities, that can cause one to dwell constantly upon themselves. You know, a person who does that is falling after Satan's will, not God's will. A seventh thing, outright rejecting Bible truth. Like I said, there are people who, oh yeah, they they love the truth. I can't share with you the number of people that, oh, this is amazing, I never heard this before. And you get to the Sabbath and they're like, yeah, okay, I don't know. You know, they reach a point where, now I'm going to reject that. Well, you're opening the doorway. Because you're not rejecting the person giving the message, are you? Who are you actually rejecting when you reject Bible truth? An eighth thing, disobedience to God's law. That's the primary one of all of it, really. You disobey God's law. Nine. Dabbling in the occult and the paranormal. Uh, you know, by engaging in uh, occult and most paranormal activities such as astrology, fortune telling, clairvoyance, etc. Or you seek aid or enlightenment from any type of spiritual entity. Well, friends, that's an excellent way to become demon-possessed, let me tell you. You know, Ouija boards, any of that kind of stuff. And tenth thing, just outright rebellion. Choosing Satan as your God. You know, seek, you're seeking power or authority from a supernatural source. You're using witchcraft, sorcery, magic, charms, voodoo, etc. to give yourself power or, or influence over others in a supernatural manner and ask... It, that's asking Satan to use you, you know. And, and you know, there are there are so many branches from every one of these avenues that we could consider, but the un- underlying theme, again, is anything that would lead you to sin against God, become a transgressor of God's law, must be avoided. 
Now I'll close this part, and I appreciate you hanging in with me. I'll close this part with two quotes. The first is from the book Maranatha, page 95. Satan is now more earnestly engaged in playing the game of life for souls than at any previous time. And unless we are constantly on guard, he will establish in our hearts pride, love of self, love of the world, and many other evil traits. He will also use every possible device to unsettle our faith in God and in the truths of His Word. If we have not a deep experience in the things of God, if we have not a thorough knowledge of His Word, we shall be beguiled to our ruin by the errors and sophistries of the enemy. False doctrines will sap the foundations of many because they have not learned to discern truth from error. Our only safeguard against the wiles of Satan is to study the scriptures diligently, to have an intelligent understanding of the reasons of our faith, and faithfully to perform every known duty. Notice what she said, that's our only safeguard against the devil. The indulgence of one known sin will cause weakness and darkness and subject us to fierce temptation. Are we opening the door of the heart to Jesus and closing every means of entrance to Satan? Are we daily obtaining clearer light and greater strength that we may stand in Christ's righteousness? Are we emptying our hearts of all selfishness and cleansing them preparatory to becoming, excuse me, to receiving the latter rain from heaven? The work of overcoming is a great work. Shall we take hold of it with energy and perseverance? Unless we do, our filthy garments will not be taken from us. We need never expect that these will be torn from us violently. We must first show a desire to rid ourselves of them. We must seek. Notice that you you have the choice. See? We must seek to separate sin from us, relying upon the merits of the blood of Christ. And then in the day of affliction, when the enemy presses us, we shall walk among the angels. One more. Review and Herald, July 9th, 1908. We are not to rest quietly with the thought that the devil will have nothing to do with us, but we can have the assurance that we shall not be left helpless to be overcome by him. Yet if we, like many others, put forth no special efforts to resist him, he will work to lead us away from the truth. If we give him the least encouragement, he will not wait for a further invitation to come into our hearts. He will take possession of the mind, and then, although we may think that we are being wonderfully led by the Lord, we shall be deceived. That's solemn. It's very solemn. And the next time we get together, I'll share how we can keep ourselves, uh, strengthen our faith, what, what principles are laid out uh, to keep us from becoming possessed of, of Satan, possessed of demons, and also how to cast them out. Because you have, to, you have to be protected before you go up against any demons. And we've already studied and saw that uh, we're going to run into this foe, and uh, through God's Holy Spirit, we will cast out demons. That's part of the mission. And so I hope you're learning some things here. I tell you, I sure am. And uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate God's Holy Word, and I appreciate Spirit Prophecy, let me tell you. it uh, It's something I praise God about every day. Let's uh, bow our heads and have a word of prayer together. 
Father in heaven, we again thank you so much for this time that we've had to come together and and study from your inspired uh, authors. We pray that uh, we may study these things that we're learning. Uh, we pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth. And we pray, Lord, that you will build a hedge around us. Send mighty angels that excel in strength to surround us and protect us. Protect our loved ones uh, from these evil agencies. And uh, uh, give us uh, solid footing, solid ground, so that we may do thy will. And above all, fill our hearts with the love of Jesus. And a love for each other and humanity. We thank you for hearing this prayer, for it is asked humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen.